Hi, and welcome to Social Work Journeys, a podcast brought to you by the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research at Bryn Mawr College. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am Mary Florence Sullivan, your host. Social Work Journeys was created to showcase the amazing work of our incredible community. We feature conversations with GSSWSR students, alums, faculty, and staff, where we talk about their journeys through social work and all the peaks and valleys they've traversed along the way. We hope Social Work Journeys gives you some insight into the many pathways a career in social work can present and will help answer some questions that might come up as we explore the world together. Today, we're joined by one of our fabulous alums of the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research, Andrea October. Andrea discusses her journey through the social work world and why she returned to the GSSWSR to pursue her PhD. I am so happy to have my friend and fellow PhD person, Andrea October, here with us today to join us for a an alumna alumna spotlight, um, talking about your experience as an alum of the MSS program, your experience on your social work journey, and now your experience in our PhD program. So Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. If you could, I know I gave you, I know I gave a brief introduction before we started, but if you could just introduce yourself a little bit with your preferred name, pronouns, and if you could maybe tell us a little bit about your interests, either related to research or other fun things, whatever feels good to you. Sounds good. Always great hanging out with you, Mary Florence. My name's Andrea October. My pronouns are she and her. And in terms of personal interests, I'll start there because that's the fun part. Um, I like watching a lot of true crime. That's like my favorite way to unwind, working out. I also love cooking, so I'm a big Food Network buff. And in terms of research, uh, because a lot of my work, and I'll you know, share a little more later in our time, has been working with folks who have experienced a lot of trauma, that's informed a lot of my research interests as it relates to childhood trauma, how do you use um, you know, trauma-informed care as well as trauma screening as a way to capture uh, the experiences of folks, particularly those who are historically oppressed. And I use that context to say, Uh, There's a lot of screeners that capture just kind of your general range of trauma, but there isn't any that are validated that talk about capturing like the legacy of historical trauma, the legacy of structural factors, um, how experiences with racisms and uh, microaggressions and things like that can uniquely impact historically oppressed groups. So I hope to do more research to contribute to advocating for more validated screening tools around those areas. That is really incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your personal interest, but also about research, because as somebody who's gone through the master's program and your own social work journey before coming back to the PhD program, I know when I was talking to other PhD students, there's so much that we experience when we're in our practice world that brings us back to the program. So I know you talked about how there isn't really a scale or something that exists that's validated, like you said, to talk to people about historical trauma or just 
group experiences, marginalized group experiences of trauma. So would you say that that's something that's come from your work as a social worker, like that idea and about, or just the interest in wanting to develop something related to experiences of historical trauma or develop a scale related to that? Would you say that comes from your, your work? Sure. So I think it comes from both like doing some early research. So correction, there is one screener that exists, but I do, um, you know, want to add to, to more. So I've definitely seen it in my work, engaging historically oppressed communities and identities, um, kind of feeling like I wish that there was, uh, a little bit more that I can help to contextualize their experience. I think universal trauma screening tools that exist are really beneficial. Um, but in, in working with folks, I was really able to kind of get a glimpse of how things like, you know, for instance, growing up with intergenerational poverty, how that can lead to some traumatizing circumstances, because we know sometimes folks who grow up in neighborhoods affected by that or even resources may limit the ability to move into safer neighborhoods. It also affects the quality of education resources. It affects things like growing up in food desert communities, uh, community level violence. So, um, you know, seeing some of the folks I work with, how those unique experiences have shaped their trajectory has really informed me being even more passionate because I think the more we give folks tools to affirm and validate their experiences, the more we empower them and give them context to know that, hey, you're not just moving through the world in a way that you're having a hard time forming relationships. You're struggling with emotional regulation because you might be in environments that you're constantly overstimulated. You're affecting by some some of these, you know, adversities and challenging factors. I think it, it really helps folks get some more meaning, but also um, ease some of that pressure that I think a lot of the the circumstances aren't you know, by choice, quote unquote, especially with the ACEs giving us context about the stress, trauma and coping relationship. When we see struggling with things like substance use and it's in relation to a trauma history. I think all this information and all this foundation can really help advocate and help folks get a better sense of where they've been and how it's shaped who they are at this point in time. Yeah. And I love kind of what you're talking about, about you know, supporting people with tools and, and how that kind of becomes empowering. And I think that's a really good explainer about why research in social work is so important and kind of continuing this process of developing research um, and evolving the research that we're doing. So I really appreciate you talking about that. If you could talk a little bit about your social work journey from your time as an alum or while you were in the program, maybe as a master's student, why you decided to go to social work school. I know you were on this fabulous panel that John Edwards and others in student services put together featuring Black alums from the GSSWSR last uh, well, last week when we're recording now. So the panel was last week, but this might be released later. And you were able to talk a little bit about your journey then. But if you could share with us your social work journey, as I said, when you were in the program as a master's student, and then maybe a little bit beyond that as well. Yeah, thank you for, you know, reminding me about that, I also want to reflect that gratitude for seeing the growth of the graduate school community and that there's more intentional spaces created for students of color, whether it's affinity support groups or even just intentionally trying to hold space for alums of, you know, Black identified folks to be able to speak to their unique experiences. I think it's been amazing to see uh, Bryn Mawr grow in that way. Um, in terms of my own personal experiences, I was working at 
a residential treatment facility for children and adolescents experiencing significant behavioral challenges. And again, that was like my initial trajectory, seeing the effects of trauma. And I would see like the therapists and the counselors being able to kind of move that step further than I could. You know, I was part of the, the milieu frontline staff. So I was engaging with them and supporting them, but there was something inside of me that I wanted to be part of that journey even further. I wanted to, you know, figure out what I needed to credential wise, experience wise to advance to a social worker level. So I could be that person, you know, holding the family therapy sessions, helping guiding treatment plans and, and things like that. So I was really inspired when I was working in that environment. So I worked there full-time while I was in the graduate program part-time. And it was a really nice combination because it enhanced my skills even further as I was, you know, learning a lot in clinical practice. That was my focus track. I was able to then bring it back into my work and help, you know, with things like de-escalation or help young people be more aware of some of their, their triggers or, um, you know, help them in terms of different coping strategies on the ground, things like that. So it was really neat to see that companionship happen with work and school. And I was really excited once I graduated because I was able to get like my first big girl job out um, <laughs> post masters. And it was a challenging but rewarding job. That's when I was working with juvenile males who experienced sexual behavior challenges. And I think honestly, if it wasn't for my good grounding in clinical practice, I would have felt really, really intimidated. I was already nervous, but I think the graduate school program really made me feel more confident that I could enter this challenging work and be able to have the skills and foundation that I need to engage these males. You know, also the social work perspective of person environment, I thought that really was even more beneficial because again, a lot of these young males I was engaging with there was so much more happening than these sexual behavior challenges. They were sure, of course, some yeah. of the, exactly some of the you know different kind of community level factors I talked about earlier. They were struggling with family dynamics. Some of them were court involved. So there were so many other systems that having that foundation as a social worker plus clinical practice really helped me get off the ground and, and feel good about the work I was doing there. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing all of that in, and it shows. This is a theme that comes up a lot, which is part of why our name is Social Work Journeys, because everybody always talks about how they're, you were talking about your first position before you went to school and then kind of what you did afterwards. It all kind of connects and builds off of it, off of one another. And then I know earlier you were talking about your research interests. You can really see how that, those positions flow together and then how that kind of informs your, your research interests as well. Um I, I know that you do a lot of training now just because we are friends outside of this podcast room. But if you could talk a little bit about, I know you talk, I think you talked about this on the panel that, that you were just on, but I, I know you just talked about this in general, like that connection between micro macro social work and now maybe where you are with your, with the work that you're doing as a trainer, as a facilitator, um, what, what's important about that intersection for you, that intersection between that micro work, that working one-on-one -on -one with the, um, the young men that you talked about and working with others, and also this like training facilitation, more macro level piece. Sure. Absolutely. You know, once I was navigating the program, I thought for sure, you know, my trajectory would be just remaining in a clinical realm, being a therapist, even maybe private practice one day. So, I think what was helpful as I was navigating different kind of 
community mental health environments, there was still that alarm going off internally. Like, even though you're doing this on a clinical level, you're you're engaging with so many different systems because a lot of the environments were um, in acute settings. So, you know, in addition to working with in, with that population, I worked as a child forensic interviewer. So then I was needing to collaborate with, you know, child protective services, law enforcement. And then as I continued on, I pursued other roles that required me to do collaboration with other systems to help the individuals I was working with. Um, so transparently, because of, you know, the combination of the type of work I was doing and the acuity of the population needs, I did get burnt out, you know, and I think what I love too about how social work practice and a graduate environments have evolved is there's more conversations about vicarious trauma, burnout, the importance of self-care, you know, the kind of normalizing the realities that this work can take a toll after a while. So I think that's so valuable. But because I was feeling that, but I was still committed to social work practice, that's when I ended up pivoting into macro practice and also using my clinical skills to inform that. Um, So my first role into macro practice, I worked for um, a managed care organization. So I was able to use my clinical skills to uh, work with uh, psychiatrists to review evaluations, to work with schools and um, behavioral health providers. And these were for folks who are Medicaid eligible to work with them, to guide treatment plans, to check in about goals, to give guidance about things that could be more beneficial to some of the folks that they were engaging with. So again, I was able to see that marriage with, you know, using my clinical skills to move into this more kind of, you know, broader, I'm not working with literally individuals on the ground, but I'm having a touch on different individuals in different capacities. Um, So from there, I continued uh, more directly into the Department of Behavioral Health. And that's where I've been for going on the last seven years or so. Um, And most recently in the last five years, working at as a trauma resilience training coordinator. So doing content development around a range of trauma subjects, as well as partnering with our major education arm, the Behavioral Health Education and Training Network, known as BH10. So working with them as well to co-facilitate, co-create content, doing um, consultation as well for different city sectors. Um, So for instance, if folks are trying to develop certain documents or they want to develop an initiative, they may tap me to kind of review the documents or just chat about guidance on how to make sure, uh, you know, the trajectory is more trauma-informed aligned and things like that. So again, I, I feel like I get to use my clinical base, whether it's in informing content development, being able to train fellow behavioral health providers or city government sectors or different community-based orgs, all of it works together. So, um, you know, when I was on the, the panel, I did stress that there is a need to bridge that gap because you absolutely need both. And that's something I wish that I did when I was in the program that I pursued more kind of, you know, social welfare classes or more macro oriented classes to help me build an even stronger base in both. So, you know, I, I think it, it does all come full circle at some point and you definitely need one with the other and vice versa. Yeah, I think so too. Totally. And I, we've had a lot of great conversations about our similar work in systems, different populations and different types of work, but just the way you kind of build through working within large systems, what all those skills you use working one-on-one with folks or community with families or communities. And then also that kind of more macro policy training work and how you really 
need both sets of skills in order to make to make change or as one of the panelists said to be a change agent I think was one of his phrases <laughs> which was great um yeah so you really need both sets of skills and they really they really need to inform one another but it's something that I didn't really figure out I don't think like you were saying when I was in grad school it's something that I figured out later on and really figured out throughout my more macro social work time like the amount of time and space and thinking that you need to 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 change systems and to change to change things um, as a social worker is really limited when you're doing that kind of clinical work and that's what I think contributes to a lot of burnout because there's just so much that you're doing so it's so clear how you brought those skills from your clinical work and and they really informed that training and policy work that you're doing now and also I'm I would guess too that like you talked about earlier with the research that they're kind of they kind of informed why you decided to come back to school as a PhD student. So if you could talk a little bit about what caused I know you did touch on it a little bit, but what kind of caused that decision to happen? Like what made you decide to come back for your doctorate and to come back to school after doing all this incredible work for for so many years? Sure. So I think, you know, kind of zooming out trajectory, like I mentioned with pursuing my master's, I think each time I found myself in a field, in a position where I want to advance the work I'm doing further, then I've been like, you know, school feels like a natural companion for doing that. Um, So, you know, on the doctoral level, I think through, through like doing a lot of this content development work, I have to do research to build this content. So in doing that research, I was able to both recognize my passion around the ACEs and particularly the Philly ACEs, which I think is phenomenal because it does that particular marriage around, um, you know, looking at how trauma affects folks at home, but also realizing how trauma affects folks on a community level. So they're seeing these unique approaches through being inspired by folks like Dr. Nadine Burke Harris and, you know, recognizing the power and having, you know, more research tools and, and, you know, more opportunities to advance this work further by pursuing a PhD. That's how I ended up back home at Bryn Mawr. And because, you know, I enjoyed it on a master's level and still keep in touch with folks. It was so great to see Clayton on the alumni panel. Shout out to you, Clayton, because I think he is a powerhouse. And, you know, I'm really honored and grateful to have worked side by side by, you know, a lot of alums who are doing really dynamic and amazing work in the field. So in my mind, it felt intuitive that, you know, if I want to advance further, Bryn Mawr was you know, pretty much my only top choice because you know, it felt really good in that learning community. And I knew I wanted a smaller environment, but also the excitement of being able to collaborate and connect with folks like yourself and get even more jazzed about meeting other people whose interests are trauma related or trauma aligned. And yeah, I, I just felt like it would be a really um, great environment for, for this type of uh, rigorous learning that I decided to pursue. Yeah. And I should have said this at the beginning. We're not only are we not, sorry, not only are we both in the program, but we also are in the same cohort, which is really incredible. And I feel so lucky to be in this program with you and with all the other wonderful students and candidates. But I think what you said, like bringing, coming to the school and being with people who are trauma aligned and just have, like you've been talking about, have these really layered and complex experiences that I think promote a lot of deep thought and just consideration of how we can make things better or how we can use research to, as you said at the very beginning, support people and empower people. 
I feel like that really aligns a lot of us in the PhD program. And I really feel that in our, in our cohort. And I, I was able to talk to the cohort behind us um, and really feel like we connected with them as well over that. So I totally agree with you that it's a, a great home for that. And also the people, the students that you're able to connect with mm-hmm. and really think with and form a community with has been really special. So since we are winding down, my favorite question to ask seasoned social workers such as yourself um, at the end is if you had one piece of advice for social work students or for social workers or for people in the field that you wish that somebody had told you or given to you before. Hmm. Um, I think I would still reiterate what I, I shared at the alumni panel, the importance of networking and relationships, you know. Um, even that first job I talked about, it was during a really tough market with being able to get employment. So it was actually one of my classmates that connected me to that opportunity at the time. So network with each other, know you're all in it together, you know, so if you do see something or you have an opportunity, you can help someone or don't be afraid to also check in with your peers around some of the work they're doing and then, you know, reach out across within, you Mm -hmm. know. Many yeah. of the college, because there's so many folks who have a lot of a range of experiences and backgrounds who want to talk to y'all, who want to support y'all, who remember what it's like. I totally empathize. Like I mentioned, working full time and doing, you know, the graduate program part time, it, it's rough. So yeah. reach out, reach out often and know you're not alone. And also just so happy to be able to reach out and connect with our larger community and yeah, always grateful to kick it with you, Mary Florence. So thank you for having me. <laughs> this is so fun. And I really appreciate appreciate your time and friendship and support. But thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your wisdom with everybody. And we will see you soon. All right. See you, folks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. And a huge thank you to Andrea. You can read more about Andrea by checking out her doctoral student profile on the GSSWSR website, also linked in today's episode description. We are grateful to our supporters, Spring Point Partners, for providing the funding that has made this podcast possible, and to our producer, Emily Overholt. Have an idea for an episode or a design for our podcast cover art? Submit your art and ideas to gsswsr at brynmar.edu. That's gsswsr at brynmar.edu. Thanks for tuning in and see you in the community.